0: Welcome to the ASCD Connect podcast, supporting you on your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host for today's program. How can schools normalize high achievement in literacy and language arts among students of color? This is a central question and a call to action in the work of our guest, Dr. Kimberly Parker. a long-time literacy educator and the author of the recent book literacy is liberation working toward justice through culturally relevant teaching she is also a new columnist for educational leadership magazine i'm anthony Rabora, the editor of educational leadership and i'm happy to be joined today by dr parker to talk a little bit about what schools can do to rethink and improve literary experiences for students of color at a time when there is a great deal of urgency around this topic welcome to our program kim
1: Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me.
0: Great, thanks for coming. So a central theme of your book, you know, broadly speaking, is that we really need a mindset shift or a series of shifts in the way we teach literacy to students of color in particular. And there's a lot to this in your books. There's a lot of nuance. But are there common problems you see in the way schools have typically approached literacy instruction with students of color? Are there basic red flags that you know, educators should be aware of going into this school year?
1: Oh, I love that question. Um, I think that a couple of red flags are um, how are we even thinking about literacy? I think that we get really caught up thinking that literacy is just a a skill, and instead, right, there are all of these sort of practices and beliefs that go into making and supporting young people and children's love of literacy and reading, and that's really the work that we have to do. Um, I think it gets sort of boiled down to book lists and those things but it's really much more about that it's about creating a culture in our classrooms and our schools where kids love reading where they see themselves in books and where um they know that they can achieve
0: that's great uh so you were a classroom teacher for for many years i I believe Mm -hmm. uh in your book you describe how a number of your own preconceptions about how you wanted to teach and what you wanted to teach were challenged and you had to evolve in your own racial understanding of mm-hmm. literacy development. So pedagogically speaking, what do you think was the most important thing you learned as a literacy teacher, you know, in the ways you had to change?
1: Oh, I love that question. I think the most important thing I learned as a teacher was that my students were literate, right? I think that I first started teaching thinking that they needed they needed literacy in ways that was more like a filling of their experiences, rather than just knowing that they come to us full of experiences, right? Literacy is everywhere happening all the time. And once I realized that, then I could work in collaboration with them. Um, And literacy wasn't something that I was doing to them, but literacy was something we were doing together.
0: That's interesting. I think that's a good segue to my next question. So you stress that culturally relevant teaching is about way more than just selecting diverse text, although it's about that as well. So, for you, what are the hallmarks or the main characteristics of effective, culturally relevant teaching? You know, are there things you're looking for when you visit classrooms or you're working with teachers?
1: Right, and, and you know, like it's it's not my theory. It's Dr. Gloria, Gloria Latz and Billings' theory, so I just you know build on that and and use that in my own practice. And I think you know there are those three pillars: academic success. success. So students really should be achieving at high literacy levels. All students, even the ones that are um, challenging, even the ones that are having all kinds of of you know struggles. Right, vulnerable children should be achieving at high levels. Um, cultural competence, right? For both ourselves, the students as well. That means for white students are working on their own whiteness, right? We are naming whiteness as well. And then like the socio-political consciousness, right? Like young people and children live in the world just like we do. And so in a classroom, I'm looking for all of those things to be happening all the time. Um, And I think we just struggle as practitioners to really do those things all the time and, and be serious about it.
0: Uh, So I do want to ask you this. So as you know, there are a lot of concern. There is a lot of concern right now about learning loss or instructional gaps in reading achievement stemming from the pandemic Uh, and low income students and students of color seem to be the, the most affected at this point to the point where it's a major equity concern. So what would be your advice to educators and school leaders about addressing this problems or do you have concerns about the way it's being addressed now?
1: Yeah, I just came off a summer working with um, high school kids, and they have not read any books over the last year. And I think that if they're not reading, that's an issue. And so that's what we did this summer, was that we just got them um, to read a lot. And I think that it doesn't matter what they're reading as long as they are reading. And we can't get kids to make any sort of substantial reading progress if we're not putting books in front of them that they want to read. Um, And I think that that means we got to get out of our own way and deal with our own biases. And, you know, even if we don't like the book and they do, then we should give them the book. But that's it, right? We have to get them reading because they have not been reading. And then also, I think we have to give them books that are on their level. It's not enough just to have those books in classrooms, but really to let them give them, you know, teach them the skills and the habits of mind and what they need to do to be able to read those books and then to push them.
0: So can you clarify why haven't they read any books in the past year?
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of our schools are still doing lots of core texts that kids don't like, right? And so there's lots of, um, I think we have kids who are really adept at fake reading or using, you know, the Internet and other things not to read. And so we have lots of missed opportunities Um, If we just gave them different books, they probably would read them. If we actually knew who they were as readers, we could directly match um, kids to books that would would really change their lives.
0: And that's a big part of what you discuss in your book as well. Um, And one of the things you mentioned earlier in your book that I found really interesting is the notion that literacy has always been community driven. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that and how that's related in particular to literacy development for students of color?
1: Yeah, like we don't um, we don't learn to read or read in isolation, right? We are always reading um, and being literate and practicing literacy in all kinds of different conditions. And also, like literacy is social. And so when we are doing our best work, we are doing it with other people. And, you know, also as humans, we are social creatures. And so if we are in communities, right, where we are all reading or all struggling with the text or all making meaning of it, right, those are really powerful opportunities. And, you know, like it just sort of ties into all we know about who we are and how we thrive and what we need, right? And if anything, this last three years has shown us how important community is. And so if we do these things together, right, I'm real hopeful that we're gonna make some progress
0: with kids. Related to that, you talk in your book quite a bit about what you call culturally relevant intentional literacy communities, and I know there's a lot that goes into this topic, but I just want to ask you if you can give us a brief description of what these communities are and how they're different from a typical reading workshop that schools might have already.
1: Yeah, so um, culturally relevant intentional literacy communities are spaces where um, routines, habits, and rituals happen all the time, and those routines and habits and rituals support the development and growth of people within the community. And I sort of boil that down to a couple of sort of keystone um, routines and rituals that include independent choice reading, for example. And I think in it all has elements of, you know, a readers and writers workshop. I think that what I try to really focus on is the intentionality of it, because every single time, right, habits, routines happen. And also those are co-constructed with the, the students in the room. I think a lot of times um, we do things to students without actually saying like, how like what, what, how do you envision this space? How do you want to be? What do you need from it? What do we need from each other? And so I try to um, ground it in that belief and practice.
0: I see. And so just quickly getting back to your what you mentioned before about choosing the right text for students or allowing them to choose the text. Is there um, any shorthand advice you have for teachers on on that process, on on choosing the right text, and making sure you have t- text that match the students?
1: Yeah, um, talk to your students. Right, there are really short um, interview questions you can ask them. I mean, not like sitting down and drilling them because you know <laughs> that might not get you the best results for kids that you are just getting to know. But you really want to know their reading histories, right? Like. What has happened to them as readers? Lots of times kids can tell you there was a particular book or a teacher or an assignment that really turned them off to reading. Um, And you have to do it without shame, right? Like they have lots of reading trauma, particularly when they come into high school. And And our job is really to help them work through that and to give them positive literacy experiences.
0: That's really helpful. Uh, you also have a great quote in your book that I really liked about the importance of helping students, uh, you know, BIPOC students in particular, re- realize their identity development as intellectual beings. Uh, how would you encourage or remind teachers, especially at the beginning of this, you know, transitional school year, to take that to heart?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it takes a lot of familiarizing ourselves or refamiliarizing ourselves with Black intellectuals anyway and other intellectuals of color Um, So many of our teachers are white. Right. And so, like, you know, we have to sort of they have to look outside of sort of their lived experience, because if we can just sort of normalize black intellectualism, um, then it's easier really to put it up for students and also thinking about sort of small things, our classroom uh, what's in our classroom? What's on our walls? Do they have pe- people of color? Are our classroom libraries really diverse with own voices? Are, is our clip art our stock images? Um, what are they seeing? And what are BIPOC people doing in those um, images? Because all of those things matter, and all of those things communicate messages to, to children.
0: Wonderful. That's really interesting and helpful. So I'm afraid that's all the time we have. I want to thank our guest, Kimberly Parker, for sharing her time and her insights. And thanks to all you have listened in. We appreciate your interest and all the work you do for schools and students. To learn more about Kimberly Parker's book, Literacy is Liberation, visit www.ascd.org books. It's a really interesting and uh, provocative book. I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Anthony.